You know the problem with you Christians? You Christians are so exclusive. You guys ever heard somebody say something like that before? You know, friends, this is probably one of the most common critiques we Christians face in our culture today. You Christians are so exclusive. And this, crit- this uh, critique, this criticism, is typically expressed in three primary ways. You Christians are so exclusive spiritually. I mean, you're so exclusive against people of other religious beliefs. The, the, the second critique we often hear is, you Christians are so exclusive when it comes to your political beliefs. Have you ever heard that one? How about this third one? You Christians are so exclusive when it comes to accepting people who are different from you. You Christians are so exclusive socially and relationally. You Christians are so exclusive. You know, friends, this is a very significant critique. And it's one that we as ambassadors of Jesus Christ need to be ready to address today. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, he shares these powerful words with the church. He says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know, friends, as I was thinking about those verses from Peter this week, that, that's really the heart of what this current teaching series we're in is all about. The, this series we're in today titled, You Lost Me, looking at the common reasons for why people walk away from the Christian faith or, or why people wrestle with doubts and questions and concerns about what Christianity teaches and how it's expressed in our world today. And Peter tells us we need to be ready, friends, as the church. We need to be ready to share with everyone a reason for the hope that we have. We need to be ready to to give a defense of the truths of our faith. But Peter reminds us we have to do that with gentleness and respect. And and so again, that's really the the goal and the heart behind this whole series, this, this You Lost Me series, is we're trying to provide answers for people who are wrestling with spiritual questions, with doubts, concerns, Reasons for, for why they're, they're leaving the faith in this question of the exclusivity of Christ is certainly one of the significant issues we face. Religious exclusivity, political exclusivity, social exclusivity. What, what can we say about these things as God's people? Well, that's going to be our goal this morning, to address these three areas. I want to invite you to pray with me and let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom and discernment as we think about these important topics today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again for the privilege of being gathered together for worship. We are here, Lord, because we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We are here, God, to honor you, to praise you, to glorify you. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are, all you've done for us. And and Lord, we know that there are people in our world today who have turned their backs on you. There are people in our world who have even grown up in the church who have chosen to walk away from you. And, And so, Lord, this series and this message is hopefully about equipping us as your people 
to be able to give answers to those individuals, to, to be able to reach out to them with gentleness and respect, with, with the truth and love of the message of Christianity. And so, Lord, help us this morning to both discern your truth, but to think practically about how we live this out in our lives so that we can reach more and more people with the good news that there is a God who loves them and desires a personal relationship with them. So we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, friends, as we begin this morning thinking about this question of exclusivity, first and foremost, I think it's important that we explore the question of whether or not the charge of exclusivity is in and of itself a bad thing, right? I mean, is being exclusive a bad thing? Is it, is it wrong to, to be exclusive? You know, when you think about that, I think it's first important for us to recognize this morning that as a society, we exclude people all the time. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and I remember, you know, when I was in high school, there were a number of semesters in high school when when I didn't make the A honor roll. And, And did I go home after finding that out and cry to my parents, oh man, my principal is so exclusive. Well, yes, I did. It didn't win many points with my parents, but... And I was thinking about how when I was in high school and college, for 10 years, I worked at a grocery store back in my hometown, Eden Prairie. And oftentimes, people would come into our grocery store, and they would try to take food or other items without paying. And upon doing that, they were then quickly excluded from the privilege of visiting our grocery store. And when the police officers took them out of the store in handcuffs, do you think those people cried, oh man, that grocery store is so exclusive. Well, they might have tried that. I don't think it would have impressed those police officers at all. Or how about this one? Tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, instead of going to your office at work or instead of going to school or maybe logging into your laptop at home to to work, try going up to the Chisago County Sheriff's Office. And walk into their office, sit down at one of their desks, and start using their computer, and just see what's going to happen in a few minutes. You're either going to be escorted out the front door or into one of their jail cells, and when you complain, oh man, this place is so exclusive, don't expect to get much sympathy from the sheriff's deputy. See, friends, please understand, being exclusionary isn't necessarily a bad thing. Our society excludes people all the time. The challenge, however, is that in our culture today, people often use labels like exclusive as weapons to attack people they disagree with. This is what is called an ad hominem argument. It's the shallowest form of debate. It's when you can't argue or reason with somebody intellectually, you just call them a name. Oh, you're so exclusive. And friends, as Christians, we need to first help people recognize that simply calling us names isn't a genuine argument. What's really at stake, what's really at issue is the validity of our claims and the nature of how we practice our faith. And so, as we're going to see today, uh, on, on matters of belief, for example, 
what we believe as Christians, Christianity is exclusive. And we don't need to apologize for that. That's just the way it is. But on other matters, on matters like how we engage this world politically or socially, on issues like that, exclusivity in the church isn't necessarily a positive thing. And in those cases, we may need some appropriate correction. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at each of these three examples. You Christians are so exclusive spiritually, politically, socially. We're going to try to give an answer to each of these claims. Let's look at this first one together this morning. Christianity is too exclusive spiritually. A few years ago, I received a letter from a friend of mine, one of these individuals who has walked away from their faith. My friend Ryan, he grew up in the Christian church, but as he became an adult, went off to university, he apparently has, has walked away from his faith. And a few years ago, he reached out to me, and we started an, an ongoing conversation around issues of spirituality and belief. And, and let me just share an excerpt from one of the letters that Ryan sent me. He says, Jason, my main issue with what you believe is your statement that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. You state that this is the truth, but really, Jason, isn't this just your truth? Who are you to say other people, other religions, or other cultures are wrong, especially when there are so many sincere and well-meaning followers of other religions? The fact is, nobody can claim to know the absolute truth. What I believe is that we simply need to learn to love and appreciate one another and embrace our differences. Maybe we all share a little bit of the truth. Some Christian, some Buddhist, some Muslim. Don't you agree, Jason, if we could simply recognize the truth that we all share, then a lot of the world's problems would simply disappear? The fact of the matter is, as long as people of any religion continue to claim exclusive truth, we will never experience tolerance and peace. Tolerance comes from recognizing that you were raised to believe one thing, I was raised to believe another. Once we recognize that, we should appreciate each other and stop trying to condemn and convert each other. I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Ryan. Friends, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever met my friend Ryan before? You know what I'm saying? I I would be willing to bet that Almost all of us in this room have heard people make statements like those made by my friend Ryan in this letter. And understand this morning, this isn't just an issue for people who have walked away from the faith, people who are outside of the faith. These are questions that even people within the church are asking today. Claims that even those within the church are making today. For example, a 2019 Barna study study of the Christian church revealed uh, that evangelical millennials, okay, these are evangelical millennial Christians, those young adults born between 1984 and 1998, out of that group last year, the Barna survey reported that 47% of that group, nearly half of that age group, believes that it's wrong to share your faith with a non-Christian. Now again, these are young adults in the church, 47% believe it's wrong to share your faith with a non-Christian. 40% of that group agreed that if someone disagrees with you spiritually, 
They are judging you. So, so again, friends, this isn't just about those who have walked away from the faith. This issue of exclusivity is a question that even people in the church today are wrestling with. And so how do we respond to people like my friend Ryan? How do we respond to, to those even in the church, maybe even some of you here this morning, who maybe are wrestling with these very issues? Is, is Christianity too exclusive? Is it too judgmental? Well, I want to share with you this morning three points of response on this, this issue. Christianity is too exclusive spiritually. First of all, it's important that we recognize First and foremost, it's important that we recognize that philosophically, all religions cannot be true. Did you know that, friends? Philosophically, it is impossible for all religions to be true. And we know this because of a universal law of logic known as the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction simply stated is this, A cannot be non-A. A cannot be non-A. Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher, was the first to give voice or definition to this law of non-contradiction. He didn't define it. It's a universal law of logic that is part of God's nature and character and how he created this world. But, but Aristotle explained this law like this. He says, one cannot say of something that it is and that it is not in the same respect and at the same time. Let me give you an example of this. I can't say to you this morning, how do you like my solid shirt? And then in the very next breath, ask you, how do you like my plaid shirt? Okay, this is either a solid shirt or it's a plaid shirt, but it cannot be both at the same time, right? That would be a violation of the law of non-contradiction. A, my solid shirt, cannot be non-A, a plaid shirt, all right, it's either solid or it's plaid, but it cannot be both. All right, now, now how does this work in regards to the various religions of the world? Well, friends, when you begin to study the religions of the world, what you quickly discern is that every religion in the world makes absolute truth claims, and their claims are often mutually exclusive and contradictory. For example, the religion of Hinduism teaches that God is a universal, impersonal force. Kind of like in Star Wars, the force is with you, and, and everything in the world is part of this impersonal force. But Christianity, on the other hand, says that God is a personal being who you can know and have a relationship with. Now, friends, which is it, right? Because both of those things cannot be true. Either God is an impersonal force or God is a personal being, but they can't both be true. Take salvation, for example. The religion of Islam says that we are saved through our good works, that one day all is going to weigh our good and bad deeds in a balancing scale. And so our goal in life is to do more good works than bad works, right? Christianity, on the other hand, says, no, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace through faith. Now, friends, which is it? Are, are we saved by works or are we saved by grace through faith? But, but those things are mutually exclusive ideas. They cannot both be true. 
And so philosophically, when you begin to study the religions of the world, what you quickly discover is that either one religion is true and the rest are false, or it's possible they could all be false, but the one thing that is absolutely not possible is that all of the religions are true. They can't all be true because they all teach mutually exclusive and contradictory claims. Either one is true and the rest is false, or they're all false, but they cannot all be true. And so this leads us to the next logical question then. Well, well, Jason, how then do we know what is true spiritually? I, I, mean, I mean, why then out of all the different religions, Jason, do, do you choose Christianity as the truth? And this leads me to my second point of response on this issue this morning. It's what I call the reliable guide defense. And the reliable guide defense is simply this. If somebody in the know tells you the best way to go, it only makes sense to follow their guidance. Let me give you an illustration of this. A few years ago, I was in downtown Minneapolis for a, for a meeting, and I was driving home late in the evening, and as I was crossing the 35W Bridge, heading north, rounding you know, the, the university campus there on 35, all of a sudden, I saw in the distance, all of the cars in front of me, their taillights started going red. Their brake lights came on. And pretty soon, I found myself stuck in a massive traffic jam. I mean, as far as I could see up 35W, just stuck in a traffic jam, just sitting there. Well, I was listening to the radio that evening, and as I was listening to the radio, it was a talk radio program, suddenly the radio announcer said, hey, we're going to go to our eye-in-the-sky helicopter traffic reporter. We've got a live report from our reporter who's up above Minneapolis this evening. How many of you have ever heard the helicopter traffic reporter, right, come on the radio? Okay, now, some of you young people, we don't hear them that often anymore because now we've got cameras all over the place, right? But, but on this particular evening, the helicopter traffic reporter was up in the sky. And so the helicopter traffic reporter comes on the radio and says, hey, if you're driving out of Minneapolis heading north, you're going to find yourself stuck in a major traffic jam. I said, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm right in it. And the helicopter traffic reporter then goes on to say, if you can head east on Highway 36 and jump north onto either Snelling Avenue or Lexington Avenue, you can bypass the accident that's up ahead on County Road E. You can bypass the accident, you can get back on 35, and you can make your way safely home on time. Now, friends, I'm sitting in my car, and I'm listening to this helicopter traffic reporter tell me what's going on up ahead and, and share with me a way that will lead me home safely and on time. And as I'm listening to this helicopter traffic reporter, I have two options. I could first say to myself, oh, man, that reporter is so exclusive, that, that reporter is so arrogant, so judgmental. I mean, who are they thinking they know the way that I should go to get home? Well, that's one option. The second option I had before me was, that helicopter reporter is a mile up in the sky. They see things from their vantage point that I can't see from where I am. They know the problem up ahead, that there's an accident. And they're telling me from their vantage point that there's a way that will get me home safely and on time. Now, friends, I would be absolutely foolish at this point to ignore the guidance of the helicopter traffic reporter. 
right? I would have to be completely naive to ignore the guidance of the helicopter traffic reporter who's a mile up in the sky and sees things that I can't see. And in the same way, friends, God is our heavenly traffic reporter in the sky. Our eternal omniscient God knows everything about what's going on in this world. And our God, in his omniscience, has diagnosed our problem, our sin. And our God has shown us the way that leads to salvation, the way that leads to life and life to the full. And God has told us there's not a dozen different options out there. There's only one way. There's only one way to salvation. Now, friends, if God in his omniscient wisdom has revealed this truth to us, just like it would be foolish to ignore the helicopter traffic reporter, it would be equally foolish to ignore the eternal God in his omniscient wisdom who has revealed truth to us. What has God revealed? This leads me to point number three this morning, the testimony of God's word. We could talk about dozens of passages in Scripture. I've got just three of them for you this morning. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4, 12, the apostle Peter, preaching to the crowds in Jerusalem, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus, Peter says. In in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, the Apostle Paul tells us that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And friends, we could go on and on looking at the biblical testimony, looking at what God has revealed to us as truth. God has told us that there's only one way. There's not a plurality of options. There's one way. And the good news, the message of Christianity, friends, it is an exclusive message. There's only one way. Some of you may have heard this past month, January 23rd, the the famous TV talk show host Larry King passed away. Larry King, who for two, three decades held one of the most popular interview programs on CNN. He was famous as, a, as an interviewer, and he was also famous for his fear of the afterlife. Larry King was an avowed agnostic. He, he didn't know if there was a God, and one of his favorite topics to discuss with his guests was questions of spirituality. Well, Larry King, who recently passed away, he was once interviewed by Bryant Gumbel of NBC News. And Bryant Gumbel, at the conclusion of his interview with Larry King, asked him this question. He said, what question would you ask God if he were a guest on your show? Without skipping a beat, Larry King replied, do you have a son? Do you have a son? Because see, even Larry King understood that the answer to that question changes everything. See friends, the message of Christianity is an exclusive message. There's only one way to salvation, and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is an exclusive path. And as Christians, we don't need to apologize for that because it's what God has revealed to us. 
It's an exclusive path, but don't miss this point, friends. It's a path that's open to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ. As that great Bible verse, John 3.16, declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. Have you trusted in Jesus? There's no other way. There's no other path. It's an exclusive way, but it's a way that's open to all who will trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Don't miss out on that opportunity, friends. What do we say to this second charge this morning? This, this popular criticism of Christianity, the, the church is too exclusive politically. Some of you might be thinking, I can't believe you're really going there, Pastor Jason. I'm going there, I know. There's probably, friends, there's probably no more divisive issue for the church in America today than the issue of politics. In my 20-plus years of pastoral ministry, political disagreements and debates and differences have probably driven more church transitions and membership withdrawals than any other issue by far. No exaggeration. In fact, I had a friend in our church tell me just recently that a woman who had been attending our church for the last couple months recently shared with him that she was no longer going to be attending Lakes Free. And when he asked her why, she said it was because your pastor's sermons are too political. Too political. I, I wish I had a dime for every time I've heard that, friends. I've been accused over the years of being too conservative. I've had other people accuse me of not being conservative enough. I had another person who left our church a few years ago because they said I was promoting a liberal social justice agenda when I was preaching a series in the prophet Micah. I mean, literally, you just can't win here. But friends, I want us to take a big picture look at this claim. This claim that the, the church is too exclusive politically. You know, when I hear that charge, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the question, well, what church are you talking about exactly? The church is too political. What, what, what church are you talking about? Are, are you talking about Lakes Free Church here in, in rural suburban Minnesota? Are you talking about the African-American church down in Minneapolis? Are you talking about my friend Eddie's church down in Laredo, Texas on the border of Mexico? Are you talking about my friend Ryan's church in San Diego where the median home price is a million dollars? I mean, what church exactly are you talking about when you make the criticism that the church is too political. Because, friends, the reality is, is churches are made up of people. And people have political opinions and beliefs. And so the reality is, inevitably, every church, every church is ultimately going to lean one particular direction or another politically. That's just part of the reality of human nature. And have you ever noticed, friends, that when someone leaves a church over politics, they they don't end up going to a non-political church, do they, right? They they just end up moving to a church that happens to agree with their particular political persuasion. All right? Again, there's, there's no such thing as a church that's completely apolitical. You're not gonna find it. 
So, so when it comes to the church and politics, there's a bigger issue here, friends. There's a bigger issue we need to think about this morning. The question isn't whether a particular church tends to lean towards a certain political perspective because they all do. The real question, the real question is, is that church's political perspective subordinate to the person, will, and mission of Jesus Christ? In other words, is that church keeping the main thing the main thing? Is that church championing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation alone through him, and is that church standing on the solid foundation of God's word? That's the bottom line. And you see where a lot of Christians and churches go wrong on this issue is they forget that the lion and the lamb always goes before the donkey and the elephant. You know that, don't you, friends? The lion and the lamb always comes first. And so the question I want to encourage us to ask ourselves this morning, and this might be a tough question for us to think about, but, but this is the question we need to ask ourselves this morning. Are my politics the Lord of my life? Or is Jesus the Lord of my life as I express my politics? That's a very important distinction, friends. Are my politics the Lord of my life? Or is Jesus the Lord of my life as I express my politics? How would you answer that question? Well, Jason, I mean, of course Jesus is the Lord of my life. I mean, I, I put him first over politics all day long. Really? Let me ask you this question. How would your family and your friends and your coworkers answer that question for you? How would the people who read your Facebook page answer that question for you? Are my politics the Lord of my life or is Jesus the Lord of my life as I express my politics? And I think the sad reality that we need to be honest about, friends, is that many people in the church, some here at Lakes Free, certainly throughout the church in America, have turned politics into an idol. And, and they put their political preferences and their political persuasions above the mission that Christ has given us to be his ambassadors in this world. And, and we get our priorities out of order instead of keeping the main thing the main thing, living for Jesus, advancing his gospel, standing on the solid rock of his word. We start putting our political priorities and preferences up ahead and then we misplace Jesus into other areas of our lives and we get everything out of whack and remember why is this such a serious issue it's because Jesus didn't tell his disciples that the world would know them for who they chose to vote for at a given election cycle Jesus didn't tell his followers that the world's going to know you for your political philosophy what did Jesus tell his disciples John 13 34 through 35 Jesus said that the world is going to know you are my disciples by your love for one another. By your love for one another. And friends, sadly, I think a lot of people look at the church from the outside in and they don't know us for our love for one another. They see us bickering and arguing and posting things that 
really go against the spirit of what Christ has called us to. And so I just want to encourage you, friends, if, if you found this convicting this morning, if you examine your heart this morning and really are wrestling with, man, I have set up politics as an idol in my life. I'm not putting Jesus first in in my priorities and in my mission in life. And if that's where you're at, friends, I just would lovingly appeal to you to consider that and to repent of that and to put Jesus back where he belongs at the pinnacle of your heart. I can't help but wonder if our culture today wouldn't be in the political mess that it's in if we as Christians weren't more often known for our love for one another than we are for our political differences and infighting. Jesus says the world will know you for your love. Let's make that our goal, our priority, friends. How about this this third criticism this morning? Christians are too exclusive socially. You, you, you Christians are so exclusive of, of people who look different from you. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't fit your cookie-cutter mold when they come into church on Sunday morning, are, are they going to truly receive a welcome here? This is, again, another important question for us to consider. Are, are we willing to invite and embrace others to be a part of our fellowship, our community as Christians? A few years ago, I had an opportunity to speak at a large Christian camp out on the West Coast, and it was a camp of teenagers, and halfway through the week, Wednesday evening, this camp had a tradition of having a big cookout, a big uh, cowboy cookout, and uh, all the kids came out to the ball field, and they were playing games and having fun, and the, the kitchen staff were out there cooking a meal, and, and it was just a great atmosphere, you know, fun and games, and as we were playing there on the ball fields, I, I looked off on the side of the field, and Sitting up on the hillside, there was this young man sitting all alone. And I thought, okay, this doesn't, this doesn't look right. I mean, all hundreds of other kids are out here having a great time. Here's this young man sitting off all alone. And I decided I'm going to go over and talk to this guy. And as I approached him, I could tell that he, he didn't exactly look like all the other kids playing the games that evening. This young man was a little bit heavier. He had some acne on his face, greasy hair. I went up and I sat down next to him and I said, Hi, I'm Jason. What's your name? He said, I don't have a name. I said, What do you mean you don't have a name? He said, I'm nobody. As I started talking to this young man, I quickly discovered that here we had been at camp for three days already and nobody had gone out of their way to try to get to know him. Nobody had gone out of their way to try to befriend him. No one had asked him if he'd want to be included in the activities that week at the camp. And he says, I'm nobody. I don't have a name. How sad, friends, when the body of Christ fails to embrace others with the love of Christ. This type of social exclusion should have no place in our lives as Christians. It should have no place in our churches as God's people. In fact, there's a powerful passage in Scripture in the book of James. James, who was Jesus' half-brother, one of the leaders of the early church. James, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, says, My brothers, speaking to the church, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into the courts? And are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James says there should be no partiality within the church. So how does this passage apply to us here at Lakes Free? Well, friends, let me suggest one crucial point of application that I think the Lord might want to encourage us as a church in this morning. There's a big difference, friends. There's a big difference between being a welcoming church and being an inviting church. Do you know that? A welcoming church is a church where a new person comes in on Sunday morning and they're greeted at the front door by the greeters and maybe an usher helps them find their seat and maybe a few random people you know, wave at them from across the aisle and, and the church goes about its business thinking that they've been very welcoming. And a lot of people go into welcoming churches on Sunday morning and never are truly seen, never are truly engaged never are truly cared for. An inviting church, on the other hand, doesn't just give a friendly wave from a distance, but an inviting church seeks to engage people relationally, seeks to get to know people and and care for them and embrace them as friends. Which church are we here at Lakes Free? Which church do we want to be friends? You know, there's probably no better illustration of this reality than Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The, the, the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what are the greatest laws? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the, the lawyer says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story of the Good Samaritan, this, this Jewish man who was traveling and he was uh, ambushed by robbers and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road and a Jewish priest walks by and passes over on the other side, leaving the man sitting in the side of the road. Then a, a teacher of the law, a Levite, comes by and he sees the man, but he too passes by. And then a third man comes by and this man's a Samaritan, one of the, the hated enemies of the Jews. And And yet it's the Samaritan who goes over to the side of the road and and picks up this man in his despair and carries him to an inn and, and bandages him and cleans him up and pays the innkeeper to care for this man. It was the Samaritan who went the extra mile. And, and at the end of this parable, Jesus asked this lawyer, who do you think was truly the neighbor of this man? And the answer to that question was obvious. It was, it was the Samaritan. When we think about that, friends, let me ask you this morning, how do we want to be known here at Lakes Free? 
Do we want to be known as the friendly church? Or do we want to be known as the church that truly loves our neighbors as friends? You know, the, the latter option might cost us more. It might be harder. But I'll tell you something, it's the kind of church our community truly needs. It's the kind of church that Jesus calls us to be. You know, we live in a world today, friends, where the church is inevitably going to be called and accused of being exclusive. We're going to be accused of being too exclusive. But here at Lakes Free, if we're ever accused of being too exclusive, let's make sure it's because of the right thing. Let's make sure it's because we as a church have remained committed to keeping the main thing the main thing. Let's be known, friends, as a church that champions the truth of Christ, but also faithfully lives out the love of Christ. And you know something, if that's what it means to be too exclusive, I'll take that label for our church any day of the week. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, these are difficult topics. And yet, Lord, you have spoken to us. You have shown us the way that you call us as your people to to not only believe, but how to live out those beliefs in our world. And Father, if there's any negative reasons for why our culture would look at us as your people, or or us specifically, Lakes Free as a church, and, and look at us and say, oh, that church is just too exclusive. Lord, if they call us that name because we champion the good news of the gospel, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone, if they call us that name for that reason, then then so be it. We will never apologize for promoting the truth of your way of salvation for the world. But Lord, in other areas, if we're accused of being too exclusive, Maybe it's because of the way we're perceived politically or maybe it's because of the way that people have experienced us as, as believers when they come into our church. Maybe they, they get the friendly wave but they walk away thinking nobody even really cared that I was there. Lord, forgive us for those things. Forgive us for when we fall short of living out the love you have called us to and, and, and truly desiring to love our neighbors as friends caring for them, welcoming them, showing them the tangible love of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to do that faithfully. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, for your truth. Father, I pray that we would all take these truths that we've discussed this morning and implant them deep into our hearts and live them out faithfully for your honor and glory. We pray this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. Our benediction comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God bless you, friends. Have a terrific week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. 
There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.